0: I remember doing it, and I remember making the conscious effort, but it really wasn't me, but it was me. It's, it, it's a really hard thing to really explain.
1: That was Shana, describing what she was feeling just after swallowing a handful of pills during a suicide attempt. Shana was the silent superhero featured in episode 17, where we heard about her experience living and working with PTSD and OCD. In this episode, we pick up Shana's story and get into her experience of BDD, and she talks in detail about her suicide attempt. Remember, Shana and I are just two people talking about our personal experience living with mental illness. If you're considering a change to your treatment plan, please consult with your care provider. My name's James Pratt, I'm the host of Silent Superheroes, and I'm really glad that you're here.
2: Welcome to the Silent Superheroes Podcast, a series of frank conversations about mental health at work.
1: Welcome to Silent Superheroes. I'm here with my guest, Shauna. Shauna, welcome to the show.
0: Oh, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you.
1: And. I don't know if we're going to be talking about this, but uh, you are um, connected in some way to one of my previous guests, right?
0: Yes, I am um, the wife of Richard. He was here talking about his ADD, and you've known him for quite a long time. I know he admires you, and trust me, I've, I'm really <laughs> happy to be here and to be with you. So,
1: Excellent. I'll be editing that nice bit out.
0: No, <laughs> it's true. <laughs>
1: So tell me, Shana, what is it that we're going to talk about today?
0: Well, today um, I'd like to talk about my um, BDD, and I guess I'll discuss that a little bit later. BDD is body dysmorphic disorder, and it's where you have this uh, visual- visualization of how your body looks to other people and how you feel about it. Um, basically, you think you are ugly, you are unworthy, you You have imperfections everywhere, and you shouldn't be basically out in public. Um, you look in the mirror and you see a monster It's where you see your body as you know face torso legs, any part of it as something that's horribly hideous. everybody's gonna see that there's something wrong um they're not gonna they're not going to like you they're going to think you're inferior you're not smart. But it's basically all perceived in your head um, I have been like this since I can remember. My father really believed that if you were thin and beautiful, you would make it in the world mm. and unfortunately, I wasn't as thin as my sister's, right. and so I was not going to be um, a pride and joy to him, and I was constantly told that um. You look in the mirror, and when you look in the mirror, I should say, because there are times when you don't want to look in the mirror, you look and I always called it a monster because I would see so many imperfections, not just with my physical being, but it was like I would see what's wrong with my brain and why would anybody love me? Why would anybody think I'm pretty? Why would anybody think I'm smart? Um, and it just, it gets to a point where I right now can't even have my picture taken. I don't like to do selfies because when I look, I see, oh, look at my nose. It looks Mm. like a garlic bulb. Oh, my eyes. They're Mm. just, you know, they're off center. You know, everything is wrong. So it, it's, it's really, I feel it's one of the more damaging, um, um mental illnesses because there's girls and young men, young women and young men who have this and they don't understand that it's it can be helped. You can go and get help with it. You're not you're not ugly. You're not a, you know, you're not a bad person. It's just the way that you see yourself and you have to change that. And of course here I'm saying I you know, you can do it. Yet I'm 54 years old right. and I'm still fighting with yeah, it. Yeah. So it's it's just my my poor husband, we've been trying to he he wanted us to take some um photographs, professional photographs. I kept putting it off and I would cry and cry and say no and no. So it it's it's no fun. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely.
1: I know with BDD, sometimes people focus on a specific thing. Sometimes it's a more general thing. What's been your experience?
0: Okay. It's pretty much been always. I would say always my weight because it's it's fluctuated up and down. I was tiny and athletic and I got heavier and then, you know, back and forth. And there's kind of a a stigma with being overweight still right now where you may not be as good a person because, oh, you're eating too much or, oh, you're not exercising and, you know, things like that. And so that's been hard for me because I just tend to cross my arms in front of my torso. I've been doing that all my life. I've learned to stand to kind of make myself look thinner. Um, I'm curious (laughs) about how one does that. (laughs) I, you know, I don't know. It's, it's like you, you learn how to move your head to make, Oh, I don't have no two chins. I have one now, but that's, that's, it's just been, you know, it, and it changes sometimes day to day occasionally, or um, there's sometimes when I think, oh gosh, you know, people are looking, I got to get a nose job. I don't know how many times I've told Richard, I don't know, my husband that, you know, I need to do this. Otherwise, people are going to not want to even give me the time of day. And uh, little did I know that BDD is also um, a form of or an offshoot of OCD, which made a lot of sense, which makes a lot of sense. So, but yeah, that's I think that's probably the the one that really makes my life probably hardest of, of everything.
1: I know that you had some reservations about coming on the show. And I'm wondering if any or all of those things were in play with your reservations.
0: Uh, Yeah, (laughs) the BDD, definitely. Um, I didn't want to embarrass my husband, you know, here comes this, you know, really great guy. And here comes his little uh, roly poly wife. (laughs) And I, you know, and I I just felt really embarrassed. and, And I, if I could change it with a snap of the fingers, I would. And, you know, regardless of and maybe i'm just uh, you know an an old dog so to speak right now but it's really hard for me to try to change you know i've regardless of all the self-help books and you know the classes that i've been to the psychiatrists i've seen um it's the most damaging i think of of the mental illnesses that I have it
1: feels like it's here to stay
0: yeah it's it set up shop and it's not going anywhere yeah
1: I don't know why for some reason the Simon Garfunkel line uh hello darkness my old friend except like hello bdd my old friend in this case
0: <laughs> I don't know if I call it a friend yeah. but you know but it is always there so yeah. you know so that's kind of I yeah. think what's the
1: spirit of that line isn't yeah it? it's like I, I don't know maybe that's about depression I don't know but,
0: uh, <laughs> it could fit a lot of them yeah <laughs> You said
1: that the BDD and OCD have been with you for most of your life. Mm-hmm. What point in time did somebody first apply that label to them?
0: Um, not very long ago, actually. It was probably about 10 years ago when um, I, um, I became uh, chronically ill. And uh, I wasn't able to do what I wanted to do. I wasn't able to work out. I wasn't able to go back to school. I wasn't able to do things like that. And the first thing, of course, that happened was I started gaining weight. And I just would sob because it wasn't it wasn't what I expected. You know, I I, I thought. Um, you know, I know that I have this, this new illness, I can deal with it, but my body wasn't doing what I wanted it to do. So I just would, um, I was gaining weight and I would, like I said, I would sob and my husband would say, you know, it's okay. You're I don't see what you're seeing. Um, and I really wasn't. It was just a matter of because I wasn't moving as much, things were shifting, and you know, things like that. I could not see what my friends were seeing. I was seeing somebody who was outgoing and uh thin and happy turning into a person who was just obsessive about oh my gosh nobody everybody's gonna think I'm I'm just ugly I don't I can't go anywhere and I did I pretty much stayed inside and um became agoraphobic for a long time I would not go outside I would not even go into the car I'd have uh, I'd have my husband go you know if I need something out there um I was talking to my uh, psychiatrist and she just, she looked at me, she goes, you are textbook BDD. And I'm going, what? Text? What is BDD? And she said, it's, you know, body dysmorphic disorder. And um, she said, it's actually um, not, it's more common in women than it is men. Um, Not a lot of people uh, realize, you know, realize that it's actually around. I've, I've had to, I've talked to my mom, I've talked to my best friend. Um, My best friend's been with me for ever. And without her, I just have to say, I don't know what I do. So yeah, she, so she just said that you're a textbook case. Um, One of the things that I haven't done yet is I haven't gone in and um, gotten any kind of plastic surgery. That's one of the other, uh, one of the other things that if you have really bad BDD, even if it's, it doesn't matter if it's, if you really have a big nose or you don't have a big nose, it's what you think you have. Um, and it, thankfully, mine hasn't gone to the point of I want to go into surgery or anything like that, but it's still there. I still, I'll, I'll be looking at somebody in the eyes and I'll go, they can tell my eyes aren't perfectly symmetrical they have to and that goes back to the ocd where everything has has to be be symmetrical it doesn't matter what and it's been really eye-opening knowing that i'm not self-centered i guess that's kind of a you know looking going oh i have to be perfect i have to be beautiful and whatever but um all, but it's, it's really been pretty damaging. There's, there's been times, you know, during my marriage where I think, you know, my husband's like throwing his arms up going, what can I say to you to make it, to make you believe me? And it doesn't matter what anybody says, yeah. it, it even if it's your doctor, you, what's in your head is in your head. And until you really start to work, work with your doctor. It's because
1: your your brain is your perception of the world. Exactly. The same way exactly. with depression. Exactly, like yeah. You can't feel yourself better. It's like yeah, I, I know that I'm okay, I know mm-hmm. that I've got a family, I know that there's lots of things that, you know, are great, but I just can't I can't feel it. My brain doesn't let me
0: Exactly. Yeah. It it just it's it's like this this it has blinds where it kind of peeks through your brain. And goes should I? No, I'm gonna stay the way I am yeah. and live inside and they, this head and just make life miserable for you. <laughs>
1: you described earlier. You said it, it's like looking at a monster, mm-hmm. and in my mind, I kind of take that somewhat literally. Have you ever had moments where, kind of in a in a close period of time, like it's flipped, like you see yourself as you mm-hmm. as you really are, as I would see you. And then you see yourself kind of as, you know, under the the haze of the BDD.
0: I, you know, I really don't know if I've really ever seen myself the way I should be. Um,
1: the way you are?
0: The way I am. Excuse me. Yes, the way I am. Um, it's just always been something that I will pinpoint and just ruminate over and just go, oh God, this is just so – you're just so – Horrendous looking and you're just so, uh, why would anybody want to look at you? You know, cover your children's eyes. Here she comes. You know, it's a monster. Or I've been, you know, told the things that you can do. Look in the mirror, say, I love you. Um, look in the mirror, say something good about yourself. And regardless of how many times you say, I love you. I'm a good person. Like you said, your brain is just your brain won't take it unless you truly truly believe it and you know as hard as you try it's it's really difficult to to take it all in and go okay i am not a monster i am not a bad person and then you flip and go yeah i am i'm gonna go hide (laughs) nobody wants to see me
1: I didn't know anything about BDD before recording this episode. I wasn't really sure what to make of it. Can living with BDD really be a big deal? Everyone has things they don't like about their body. It took me about five minutes sitting with Shana talking about BDD, and I understood that it is a big deal. I'd fall into the trap that so many people fall into with mental illness, projecting their own life experience onto somebody else's illness. Is depression real? I've been sad before. My mind wanders. If someone with ADHD really tried, they could concentrate. Fortunately, I didn't just fall into the trap. I also climbed out. I sat face-to-face with someone with a condition I didn't understand and listened to them and asked them questions. Shana lives with PTSD, OCD and bipolar in addition to her BDD. Managing all that can take its toll, as it did for Shana when last year she attempted suicide. You have a lot of awareness about these conditions. What of the things that you've tried?
0: There's not like I I've, I've, have read and my, my doctors told me that there's not really any medication regime that really helps it um, like there would be with um, depression and anxiety and, and things like that. So it's more of a cognitive, um, cognitive approach. Like I said, I've tried DBT. And that has helped a lot. Um there was, was again di- uh, uh, dialectical behavior behavioral therapy. Yeah. <laughs> it's a mouthful. But what I love about it is is just kind of off it's from the UW. I love Washington, I love Seattle, uh-huh. anything that has yeah. to come out of, of yeah. Um but yeah, it just uh you know you can't really take any herbs, you can't do aromatherapy, you can't do anything like that. It's Um, about
1: learning your mind and the patterns in your mind.
0: Exactly, and and there was a there was I had a um um an incident last year that happened that um, I was basically told I had to go to do go to uh, the DBT classes, and I took about nine of them, and I learned a lot about just living in a moment and not trying to worry about how things are going to look to other people. And as much as I took that in, it's still really hard to not do yeah. that. You know, and it, it, you can read every book, you can, you know, talk to every doctor, you can go to every seminar or whatever and go, yeah, I could apply this to my life. And you try, it, either it doesn't stick or, The emotion is so strong that it just overrides what you've learned. And especially, I think, as I've gotten older, I think my brain has just gone, you know.
1: The pattern's already very, very ingrained.
0: exactly, exactly.
1: Which, if anything, would be a good reason to get started on this journey, earlier oh absolutely you know if if you can see it early enough right
0: absolutely i didn't know i didn't even think there was really anything wrong um coming from the fam coming from you know family that everybody somewhat came out a little damaged Hmm. um i didn't think about anything until i met richard and after we got married it was about three years into it He made a a comment. I was sobbing for really no reason, and he just said, "You know, this isn't this isn't normal. I want you know you should go see a doctor." And I think I was about thirty at the time, and he was absolutely right. Uh, Even though I was misdiagnosed, it was still wow. Okay, there is something that's not right, and it can be helped.
1: So often it seems like it's that moment of of realization, which Seems to come in two ways. Mm-hmm. Either the doors are blown off because you find yourself um, standing on a balcony thinking about jumping off and realizing, mm-hmm. like, well, that's not normal, or you actually do mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or you have some kind of complete breakdown where you know functioning becomes completely impossible. Or somebody says something. Mm-hmm. Somebody says, "You know what? I don't know that that's <laughs> normal behavior." <Yeah.
0: laughs>
1: And, you know, you can wait for one of those moments, but I'm sat here thinking if there were anyone out there and there's something that happens in your head Mm -hmm. and you find yourself asking the question, do other people think this way, work this way? feels like just go tell a few people and ask them (laughs) because like you, I went through a kind of half a lifetime of kind of just assuming everyone had the same crap going on in their head.
0: Exactly, yep.
1: And it turns out that, there are a lot of people because <laughs> they have the same condition as you, but there's also many, many more people who don't do that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I thought. I thought everything that I was feeling was absolutely normal. I thought it was okay to to start crying if you drop a meatball on the floor, or which actually did happen. Um, or that, you know, you were afraid of people if they yelled at you, or um, you know, things like that. I have to say, I really think that Richard was my savior because I don't know where I would have been now. I may not have even been around. So um, I give, he is my, he's my, my rock and sometimes Thank- in a hard place, but. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Richard.
1: You mentioned an incident last year that caused you to go to DBT classes. Mm-hmm. What was that incident?
0: Um, I attempted suicide. We had um, a life change, basically. we uh, It was decided that we were going to move to another city and out of a house that I loved. And for me, that was just way too much to handle. Um, I felt helpless. I felt um, like I didn't matter. And my thought was, well, if I don't matter, um, it's pretty obvious. Um, and I just thought, I don't want to be where I am anymore. I want to be back where I used to be. I want to be back in my home. I want to be where all my friends are. And so I texted my friend and I said, I just can't do this anymore. And then I texted Richard and told him to tell my mom that I love her. She's my best friend. And I grabbed my pills and I took 50 Klonopin. And I, there were, there are still times that I wish Richard hadn't pounded down the door, you know, cause the, the feelings come back. But again, he was my savior. He came and and, you know, I remember I was, I was upset with him. Here I am, there's, he's on the phone and, and trying to get the you know calling 911 and I'm upset because he's not over there trying to talk to me trying to you know hug me and hold me no he's on the phone for Pete's sake so
1: <laughs> doing what we can all agree was the right thing at that time
0: yeah yeah, yeah. i um it, it was one of several uh suicide attempts in my life yeah. and um this was the closest i ever got
1: what are the effects of taking 50 of those tablets?
0: Well, um, with the clonopin of course, it's a benzodiazepine. And I was, I take it or I don't take it anymore, but I was taking it for panic disorder. And it was so quick. It was just handful, handful. And I just started getting very sleepy. The uh, EMTs, they were you know, trying to keep me awake, calling, you know, calling my name all the time. And I remember saying, why are you calling me by my name? Don't, because that's another thing I think with, with PTSD, it's hard for people to hear their name being called because it's the, um, it reminds them of that authoritarian or uh, figure who's like, uh, George, come over here right now. Whereas I, re- I always tell Richard, just don't tell- call me by my pet name. I really don't want to hear my name, (laughs) but, um, yeah, they were trying to keep me awake. I don't remember much. Richard said I was saying some interesting things as I'm being, you know, gurnied out to the, (laughs) to the ambulance. We got there to the hospital I remember them saying, oh, well, we need to take her shirt off. And I remember going, I'll do it. And I, that's the last thing I remember. Basically, it was shutting down everything. Um, my breathing, um, my uh, uh, my throat was collapsing. Um, they couldn't pump my stomach because um, it would be going back into my lungs. So they just let me ride it out. Yeah, they um, injected me with, oh, I can't remember, a roofie, the, the drug Rehypnol. Rehypnol. Thank you very much, and I don't remember anything. Thank goodness. But uh, Richard shows me the picture of me wrapped up like in a little cocoon in the in the ER. It's really surrealistic because I don't. I look at the picture and I don't see that's me. It's like just a person in a blanket wrapped up. But I, you know, I didn't realize just what the extent of, of you know, how, how much, how many people it touched? Because, um, I, Facebook is, can be good, bad, whatever. I had posted something when I was in the hospital. I said, oh, I did something stupid last night. And I, my friends are going, what did you do? What did you do? And I go, well, let me just quickly answer you privately because I don't want to post it. And I think the, 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 um, comments i got were oh my god but you're always so happy oh my gosh i thought you know you you know you're always laughing you're in such a good mood and it's like yeah but yeah
1: you don't get to see my inner (laughs) life no yeah you don't get to see
0: the real me like like (laughs) like a lot of my really close friends do yeah yeah.
1: if you can remember um you said you know took a few handfuls of pills Mm -hmm. things started to get slow Mm -hmm. what were you feeling at that time
0: I was actually feeling very I remember feeling very serene. Um one thing I do remember when they when I was at the hospital they were getting me and um, pushing me into the emergency room is I remember seeing these colors and it was like in a pattern, a fan pattern. And I thought to myself and there were there was greens and orange and and red and I thought, is this what it's like to die? This is this is okay. I'm okay with it. And it never, I never was scared. I think once, once I had taken the pills, I never, you know, was going, Oh, Richard, hurry, hurry, please get the, just get the, you know, the ambulance here. It was, this was was no regret. No, it was just a feeling of, I'm going to be okay. It's okay. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to hurt anymore. I don't have to, you know, feel bad emotions anymore. It's, it's, I'm just going to go to sleep. And, you know, I, I, it was, and, and, in as much as, you know, people talk about suicide and attempted suicide, I still felt really after everything, I still felt really embarrassed that I even tried it, yeah. you know, for, and it almost worked. <laughs> Let's put it that way. So.
1: One of the inspirations for this podcast was a friend of mine who committed suicide. And when I tell people that they always say, Oh God, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course, losing somebody that you care about is really difficult. Yeah. But I also think about, you know, I know, the pain that she was in we talked about it a lot and i'm glad for her that she found that peace mm-hmm. you know i wish that she'd be able to stay with us longer but you know that that you know i think she probably had that moment of like oh, thank god it's gonna be it's gonna be over soon i can like i'll be at peace and i'm i'm glad for that because in some ways it was better than the pain
0: it, it that's exactly it i don't think if if you don't if you don't feel the, the pain of depression, the, the, the sadness, the, the just feeling of being not worthy, um, not wanting to do anything, just feeling like I, why am I even here? Then I, I honestly, you know, I know there's, there's the religious aspect of it of, you know, it shouldn't be doing it, but I totally understand if, having had those feelings and if i had a friend sadly who did that i would understand and i wish more people would understand and not put that stigma on on you know on suicide i don't i remember doing it and i remember making the conscious effort but it really wasn't me but it was me it's it, it's a really hard thing to 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 really um to really explain but i knew that okay you know all these years of pain and when i was in high school i was writing suicide notes so and i wanted you know to to just end it all and it was it's going to be okay you're going to be fine it wasn't oh my god what did i do what did i do so it's, it's, it's not only, it's actually a physical pain too. It's emotional and it's physical. And when you, when you finally make that decision, whether it's rash or you've planned it, you know, and I'm not trying to glamorize it or make it, you know, beautiful because it's, it's, you're, you're ending a life and and people love you.
1: And there's that part of it, right? Which Mm -hmm. is, you know, it will leave scars and wounds on those that you leave behind
0: exactly and exactly and yeah. I think probably and this sounds really weird the person I was worried the most about was my mom I knew Richard could handle it <laughs> I knew he he's a he's a big guy he's he's known me for thirty years he he could handle it but you know my mom and I think maybe maybe in the back of my head when I texted him to tell my mom that I was sorry maybe that was um Something that I was sending a signal out to say, come, come and get me, come and help me. But I wasn't aware of it. Yeah. yeah I wasn't aware of it, so.
1: And I should underline the comment that you made, which if you are suicidal and you're considering suicides, mm-hmm. reach out, mm-hmm. get help. It's not the right answer. mm but it's not so I understand.
0: And the thing too is don't be embarrassed to call the, you know, the suicide hotline. Had I done that because my friend was going call them. And I go, No, it's it's ten thirty at night. They're, you know, they're they're probably <laughs> they're on a coffee yeah, break. Exactly. You know, they've heard this all before. And you know, and she goes, Oh, call your counselor. No, it's ten thirty. She's right. in bed. So it's it's like don't be embarrassed. Just Really, just one phone call could make the biggest difference.
1: And I'll also say that if calling someone feels hard, because we live in a day of sending messages mm-hmm, and not calling, mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of Crisis Text Line, and their number is 741 741 in the US and in Canada, 686868. And you text them, and they have trained counselors who, you know, you can text back and forth with
0: you know if i had have known if i had not have known that i probably would have done that because yeah. it's that whole i don't want to talk to somebody i don't want to you know yeah. so that is that is excellent yes yeah. yes definitely <laughs>
1: As I already said in this segment, one of the reasons I created Silent Superheroes is that I lost a friend to suicide. I remember finding out as clear as day. A mutual friend shared the news, casually, and I immediately went into shock. I knew things had been bad for her, and I knew she'd been on a downward spiral, and now she was gone. I had to attend a leadership meeting at the company I worked at about 20 minutes after I found out. I didn't know what to do, so I just did what I was supposed to do and went to the meeting. I remember someone asked me, the blandest of small talk, how's your day? I told the truth. I don't think it was what she was expecting. It's been nearly two years, and I'm glad I've been able to channel my sadness into this podcast. Suicide leaves scars on those you leave behind. When I felt of my most hopeless, it's knowing that that's brought me back from the edge. I know as well as anyone, there are a variety of helplines and support out there. But if I'm completely honest, I don't use the resources that I talk about all the time. So I'll make you a deal if you promise to reach out to a support time next time you're on the edge, I will too. What was the recovery from that like for you
0: it's It's still going on actually um I went in inpatient for a few days and when I came out, it was a shock because I was going to the place that I didn't want to be. I was going to this new this new home and a new neighborhood and and it's it's I'm seeing, um, a new psychiatrist and she's helping me, you know, with, um, trying to pull back the power that I have and not feel so helpless being in this place. But, um, it's ongoing. It, it's been almost a year and it, um, you know, I still, I, you know, I'm honest. I still cry about it. I still have, um, not, not the fact that I tried to, you know, uh, leave this planet, but just the fact that I I need to get this in my head that life, this is life, things change. And I never believed that saying that things happen for a reason, but this could be something where this happened for a reason. It made my, my family also go, whoa, um, okay, our little sister, she we probably you know all need to be closer to each other yeah. because we all have some kind of a mental a mental illness.
1: I want to say I'm very you know grateful that you're still here. Oh, thank you. I'm grateful that you are able to tell that story because I think that story will help people and I'm very grateful to Richard who's sat the ten feet behind me, <laughs> over my shoulder, for breaking down the door and doing <laughs> and, the right thing. So and not
0: making faces or anything like that. <laughs> it's it was it was definitely an eye opener. I I never thought I would go that far. I've he's had to uh, he's had to come between me and a few few things.
1: Uh, yeah, you have almost a lifetime of living with PTSD, OCD, BDD. If you go back to a point in time. I'll let you choose what that point in time Mm -hmm. is and you could say something to yourself, give yourself a message, Mm -hmm. where would you go? What would you say?
0: I would probably go as far back as I could and just say, you know, you're probably going to be dealing with these problems. It can't be changed because it's physiological. But what you can do is remember that you're a good person. Don't let anybody make you feel less than that. If somebody doesn't agree with you that doesn't mean you're bad. If someone um says something about your illness, it's not your fault. It just it it just is. And just remember that there's people who love you. You know, it sounds it sounds simplistic, but truly when you feel that you have the support. You have people who you can go to, who people who care about you. It makes it it makes it easier in a way. You know, it's not going to take away the pain. It's not going to take away the illness itself. But if I could say, if I could just give myself a hug and go, "Have at it! You're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna kick butt. You're gonna just do that. it." Yeah.
1: <laughs> in forty something years, you'll have a man who'll break down the door. Yeah, for you. Exactly. Yeah. Shauna, thank you for your honesty, your candor, sharing some pretty deep stories with us. Thank you so much for coming on the show.
0: Oh, thank you for inviting me, James. I'm so glad I'm here. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you.
1: I hope you've enjoyed our two-parter with Shauna, taking in her journey through OCD, PTSD, BDD, and her suicide attempt last year. If you like what you've heard in today's story, please leave us a rating and a review on iTunes or wherever it is you get your podcasts. If you'd like to hear about new episodes as they're released, please follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash silent superheroes or go to the silent superheroes website at www.silentsuperheroes.com and sign up for our
2: newsletter. Take your mental health seriously. If you need to speak to someone, you can call 1 800 273 8255 or text crisistextline.org at 741 741. Both provide 24 7 confidential counseling to people in the United States. Worldwide, visit iasp.info/slash resources. To help others find the Silent Superheroes podcast, please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting service.